I've been watching a lot of YouTube videos made by ranchers, pig farmers, like how-to videos within the industry. Um, and just time and time again, they're loving, affable, fun people who I would totally be down for spending an afternoon, you know, shooting the shit with them and just getting to know each other, asking questions, bringing out their sparkly personalities. Like they're great people. Um, and what's also clear is they're super connected to their farms, their land. They, it's part of who they are. Renee, who's our guest today? We have Laura, is it Montaya? Tell me, your, tell me how to say your last name. Laura Montagna Reese. Montagna is my maiden name. Laura Montagna Reese. Wow. That, and so how did you get a name that, like that? Like um, a double whammy. Well, Montagna is my maiden name. Okay. And then Reese is my married name. So Montagna is, uh, where are you from? Was born in Maryland, moved around a lot because my dad was a captain in the Coast Guard. And ended up in Washington State for high school, and then California for college, and then my career in Silicon Valley. Wow! So I'm just American. So how did you how did you uh, end up doing the whole lobbying scene? How did you get involved in wanting to take um, you know animal justice to lobby? Okay, so um, I be I. Uh, sort of became vegan after realizing that eating animals was unnecessary. So then I became vegan and I didn't really think of doing activism much, but then I started really learning about the environmental impact and about more of the ethics of raising animals for the food supply. And you know, all the things that we all learn when we start this journey. Yeah. The rabbit hole. And I would, I, uh, I was reading about subsidies that were being paid to animal agriculture farmers. And it was just outrageous to me that my tax dollars were being used to pay people to produce more product when I was trying to vote with my own consumer dollars in the marketplace, thinking, Oh, I'm making a difference, not buying, you know, beef and buying lentils instead. And it just was, um, it was a little outrageous. And I was up one night at like two in the morning on Reddit, just, you know, gacking out. And I saw an AMA by this guy named Billy, who had, who had been, he'd worked at the USDA for a while. He'd been a lobbyist and he started an organization called Lobbyists for Good, like with a four in it. And the philosophy was, look, People pretty much don't like lobbyists. They don't like that that's our system, that rich people, corporations can hire lobbyists to go in and influence policy. But what it, you know, that's the system we have. So how about if we offer that to individual Americans who have a cause that's not being heard in Washington, D.C.? So I thought, well, animal agriculture subsidies are outrageous. I want to end them. So I, you know, over the next day or two, I kind of crafted a, a pitch and he accepted it. And mine was the first 
campaign to get fully funded. Wow, yeah. you know, because I mean, animal agriculture certainly isn't in um, Washington, D.C. I mean, it is in Washington, D.C., but the opposition of it is not in Washington, D.C. Exactly. And so is this the first time that you know of that uh, a lobbyist uh, against the uh, subsidies has gone to Congress? I don't know that. I know there are lobbying groups like the Citizens Climate Lobby, which I contribute to every year, and that's very much on ending carbon emissions, and I think they have a little bit of knowledge about livestock, but I don't know that for sure. And then there's also like the Sunrise group. They're not necessarily lobbying, but they're pushing for climate action. So there are a lot of groups who are on the environmental angle, but whenever I watch their their YouTube videos or their pitches, they leave out livestock, the raising of livestock. And it's it's not even a contested fact. People just generally, scientists generally accept that of human-caused methane emissions, 35 to 40% come from the raising of livestock. It's bigger than um, transport and energy. So, and this is within methane emissions. And, right. and, I, and um, I just don't see a lot of environmentalists talking about it, even if they've seen cowspiracy. Why do you think that is? I mean, why do you think that um, that people aren't talking about it? And why isn't it a big deal in our government right now? I mean, this should be like on the news, uh, on every major news network, what's going on around. Uh, yeah. So why, why not? So many answers to that question. Yeah. Really. Do you have any? Do we have three hours? I mean, when you've got, got like, you know, one to two acres of, you know, rainforest being cleared every second, I mean, every second, you know, we have, you know, rainforest just, you know, disappearing, you know, and animal agriculture is responsible for this. Why isn't that in the news? Yeah, I mean, so the news is one thing. Put that aside for a second. The environmentalists, my impression is they you know, rightfully so, I mean, as myself, an an environmentalist who, you know, I want humanity to live past the next century. Thank you very much. It's not really that crazy a a wish. Right. You know, I want us to focus on transitioning our fossil fuel energy sector into green energy. And I want us to focus on, on infrastructure for public transit and get away from one single person driving around in an SUV you know, I take the bus to volleyball at night and in the other direction, I just see car after car after car in traffic waiting with just one person per car. And it's just outrageous. It's outrageous. So I get it. They want us to focus on that problem because we need to focus on that problem. But we also need to focus on the other problem that is half of the issue, which is animal agriculture. Yeah, and nothing's going into that. I mean, nothing literally is going into that. No. So you're like the only person I've ever known that's tackling the tip of the dinosaur. You know, what's frustrating to me, too, is talking with vegans, um, I made a video recently. When I when I research a topic, I like to make a video and kind of document what I've learned. Like, here are the salient points, and here are the sources, and this is why I, I'm pretty confident about what I'm saying here. 
And the most recent one I did was methane because I wanted to understand better, you know, what is the number? You hear people say, oh, methane is X more powerful than CO2. But you hear all these different numbers. What are some numbers you guys have heard? What, that, like uh, how much waste, like how much... Uh... How more powerful is methane than CO2 at being a greenhouse gas, at warming the planet? For every kilogram of methane that's emitted, how much more powerful is it than one kilogram, say, of CO2? I don't know how much more powerful. Have you ever heard these numbers quoted, Ryuji? Um, well, I have, but I don't know off the top of my head. I have no clue. So I, whenever I hear vegans and even environmental scientists quote this, they'll say like 20 or they'll say 25. But the real number is more like 100. So, so tell me again what that, tell me again exactly what it is that is 100. So if you release one kilogram or one pound of methane into the air, and you release one pound of carbon dioxide into the air at the same time, they have a different warming effect on the earth. One is far more powerful, a greenhouse gas, than the other, and that's methane. Right. And it comes down to whether you measure their, whether you compare them over 10 years, 20 years, 100 years, 200 years. And that will give you a different number for the more powerful than factor. So, so right. tell me again your uh, your background. Tell the tell the listeners out here what your background is, where you went to school, what you got your degree in, because I know you've uh, you've done quite a bit. So, might as well let them all know that, so they know that we're not talking to just somebody with an opinion. <laughs> So I can read a scientific paper. I studied <laughs> engineering in college. So I majored in electrical and biomedical engineering. Yes. yes. And then after I graduated with, with a business minor. And then after I um, graduated from school, that was at the University of Southern California in Los Angeles. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Go, go. <laughs> go, go. So, so what's you may have heard of our football team. Maybe. I haven't heard anybody's football team because I don't know an inning from an outing. That's what I always say. <laughs> You've never heard of Pete Carroll? No, don't know it. Don't know it. O.J. So Simpson? Huh? O.J. Simpson? O.J. Simpson, of course, but not because he played good ball. <laughs> he was on the news a lot back then when I was watching all that. Oh, my God. Um, yeah. So let me ask you something because, you know, you contacted us and wanted to put the Ranchers Advocacy Program in your program uh, to take up to the uh, Congress. So tell us why you, um, why you contacted us, what was that all about, and golly, we're just so excited that RAP is going to Congress. Yes, so um, you are the centerpiece of my conversations in Washington. So in a week, I go to Washington, D.C., and I'm going to have probably a half hour with our representatives. And I'll be there for three weeks. Wow. I'm couch surfing. I love couch surfing. So each meeting is going to be about 30 minutes. More, t- more likely than not, it's going to be with the staffers of the representatives, right? But sometimes it'll be the representatives. And I'm going to make the case for why this is an urgent issue, which is some of the stuff I've been talking about with methane emissions. And I can go into more details on that if you want or not. 
But then I have the ask. What am I going to ask them to do? Well, one thing, obviously, is make sure that methane is a primary consideration in the Green New Deal, everything we're doing with, with climate change and addressing it. And becoming leaders once again, leading the world in fixing this predicament we're in. And the other ask is to start a pilot program at the national level, pick maybe 10 states modeled off of some other pilot programs I've seen the USDA roll out. And in this pilot program, it's all about shaping the path so that dairy farmers, pig farmers, cattle ranchers, they have their business right now. They might be somewhat aware that their business is adversely affecting the environment, either through water pollution or through methane emissions or carbon dioxide emissions. Mm -hmm. But, you know, this is their business. This is what they do. Right. Maybe they think of diversifying, but it's, you're, you're working every day focusing on your business. You're not thinking about, you might be planning for the future, but it's probably in line with the business you're doing. So exactly. this program, this pilot program, which I want to model off the Rowdy Girl Rap ranchers advocacy program because you are paving the way for what works and what doesn't work. You're doing all of the hard work. Yeah. Writing it up. <laughs> but this is, this is what I would call is carving out or shaping the path, showing the path that these ranchers and dairy farmers and um, pig farmers can follow and chicken farmers. Chicken farmers. If, yeah. And if they want to, um, diversify and possibly get paid to do so. So it could tie into like the conservant, the, um, the conservation program in the farm bill. It can, it can tie into um, it. We could take like the dairy, the dairy margin coverage program, which is the new name for MPP. And instead of paying dairy farmers to breed more cows to make more milk, that's, being sold into a market where we have such a glut of milk that the prices are being depressed and we're storing 1.4 billion pounds of cheese in federal freezers and caves. Instead of paying them to do the wrong thing, which by the way, dairy cows are the worst methane emitters. Mm. We can give them options to choose to take a path that's not so scary, hold their hand, walk down that path and diversify into other low carbon, low cruelty businesses. Yeah. And this it's sounds simple. your program. Yeah. The big, ask. Yeah. You have to ask for it. Uh-huh. So that's yeah. going to be interesting. What do you think about all that Ryuji? I'm interested. I, I wanted to ask you a question or well, a few things came up that, that I really wanted to ask you about. One is directly about this, which is, do you think that in general, when trying to create change in the political world around all this, um, and perhaps based on your experience or based on what you think like moving forward, and it seems like it, do you think it's more effective to center arguments around the environment rather than other things? Because it seems like the, the, the ask you're doing is, is a very environmental, environmentally based uh, ask. The, the ask is centered around environment and the market distortions in subsidies. Right. 
Those are the two main things I'm focusing on. Um, yeah, because I'm talking to people who aren't vegan. And yeah. in my experience doing outreach, as much as I want to talk about the ethical argument, because it's mm-hmm. compelling for me, a lot of people aren't at the point in their life where they're ready to listen to that yet. Right. And so the question I want to ask you is, is like, you know, cause when you're going to go talk about all these things, w- one other thing that I know is that there are a lot of people within the government who have vested interests in the animal agriculture industry. Oh yeah. And, and, <laughs> right, so, so the que- so the question I want to ask you is, you know, I don't even know if this will bring any interest to anyone, but I really want to know this, which is when you center yourself around the environment, are you doing so because the people that you're going to be talking to, you think them as individuals, they care more about the environment or is it more that in the general public, there are many people who care about the environment. So people feel more pressured to do something about it. If it's around the environment, that that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I think so. My take is this, we are faced, we're in the sixth mass extinction event. The environment is the argument. It is. It just is. What, whatever their interests are, you know, they have children, they have grandchildren. Um, they can listen to fossil fuel funded think tanks denying reality, but they know. Got it. Makes sense. You know, what else, too, is these um, eighth-generation, you know, cattle ranchers. I've had conversations with several, you know, including this eighth-generation cattle ranch, where their kids and their and their family members are going vegetarian and vegan. So, you know, the handwriting is on the wall that these young kids that are being raised up in these, you know, ranching traditions, uh, farming traditions, you know, they're leaving that behind. It's something they don't want to do now. But this is what's so wonderful about what you're doing, Renee, with the RAP program, because they don't have to leave farming behind. Exactly. They don't they have can to. They use their land. They can reuse it. They can still carry on, uh, you know, new traditions that are still based around the land, based around animals, you know, but loving them and, you know, and, you know, cause all ranchers love animals. I say this all the time. Ranchers love animals. They just, they're in a business of farming animals. So when it comes time to sending them to the cell barn, they have to flip a switch. It's part of the business model. Yeah. The, the, a part of the business model being a rancher, you have to be able to flip a switch, but yeah. you still feel it. But, but you, imagine if you didn't have to. Exactly. And you yeah. don't have to do it. I mean, it just, uh, it's, it's, it's a win-win. You know? I've, been, I've been watching a lot of YouTube videos made by ranchers, pig farmers, like how-to videos within the industry. Um, and just time and time again, they're loving, affable, fun people who I would totally be down for spending an afternoon, you know, shooting the shit with them and just getting to know each other, asking questions, bringing out their sparkly personalities. Like they're great people. Um, and what's also clear is they're super connected to their farms, their land. They, it's part of who they are and they're proud of it and they want to do right by it. They want to do right by their families. 
it's not, um, and, and I watch, I read these articles and I watch these YouTube videos and they're looking for answers because they're feeling the stress. They'll even talk about not wanting, you know, it's market day. we got to send the, the cattle off. We need to send the pigs off and they're heartbroken. Yeah. And they know that the environmental issues there, you hear them touch on it and they just need, um, instead of getting handouts, for doing the same thing, for doing the wrong thing. Wow. I don't know why that's ringing. That's weird. Let me do this. There we go. Sorry. I don't know why we did that. <laughs> so instead of getting government handouts, which nobody likes getting, and getting them to to continue doing the wrong thing, which is um, creating a product that the market is declining. Right. Um, have you ever read any of the books by the Heath brothers? No. They wrote a book called Switch. There's one called Decisive. I think there was another one, um, Sticky or something. But um, they wrote a book called Switch, and it's all about how to make change. And one of the critical things you have to do if you're asking somebody to make change is you show them, you create the path for them. And it's called shaping the path. Uh-huh. And a lot of these ranchers, if they saw that there were these paths they could walk down toward businesses that are growing and lucrative where they wouldn't even need a handout from the government because that's not what they want. Right. Um, nobody wants that. Is if they saw these paths, which you are breaking the trail for with your rap program, then, and we had a way of rolling them out and making them public to them, and we get people walking down these paths, they don't even have to totally transition. They can just start down that road, you know, lower the head count of the dairy cattle and start growing oats. Use the same equipment like I think Elmhurst Dairy in upstate New York did. A lot of those big cisterns for processing the milk, they just started using, they repurposed them for plant milks. If they can see that it's possible and maybe get some subsidies to transition, I don't see why they wouldn't. And they still use their land. They can still be proud of their land. They can still have animals on their land. There's nothing stopping them. They just don't need to exploit them anymore. And they don't need to breed more animals that are really stepping on the accelerator when it comes to global warming. Right. 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 So that's what I envision. So you're going to be there three, three weeks, three weeks. And so do you go like up there every single day and try to talk to somebody or I mean, are you just the, we'll have multiple meetings every day and uh, we'll talk mostly with staffers. I'm really hoping to get into talk directly with a few representatives. And the, the main thing we'll be talking about is the global warming potential and the ask, which is to adopt this pilot program and sponsor it and get it through Congress. Which is what program? This pilot program based on ranchers advocacy. Okay. Wow. So what is your, what is your uh, belief around the possibility of that happening? Well, I was listening to a podcast this morning and a wise woman said, it's only our voice that changes things. Oh, really? 
that was you. Yeah, I know. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> it's only our voice that changes things. So I'm going to talk to as many people as I possibly can, along with the lobbyist. And if we can find a freshman representative who wants to have a cause to fight for, get a bill introduced, get some policy introduced, um, we're going to hand it to them and say, look, we'll hook you up with the people who can help you craft this. And these are the basics. Cool, man. I hope somebody steps up. Yeah. A freshman what again? You called him? A freshman representative. Oh, okay. So uh, like a, like a, somebody green behind the ears kind of? A little bit. Yeah. That'd be good. Something to sink their teeth into. What I really want is to get a Republican who's like very pro-market. Perfect. I mean... So I've got two, what I imagine is I have two groups I'll be talking to. One is like the more progressives, in which case I need to explain that livestock is part of the green, needs to be part of the Green New Deal. It just needs to be and explain why. I came up with an analogy earlier today. Maybe I'll try it on you guys. I don't know if trying it out on a podcast is the way to go. And then the other one is talking to more like libertarian minded, free market minded people, which I get. I was I was a Republican for 20 years, voting Republican for 20 years. So it's not like I don't understand where they're coming from. And um, talking the language of subsidies and just the injustice of subsidies. And I mean, what are we for, like pro corporations or are we for the free market? Which one do you want? Exactly. Well, good. So, Somebody needs to have these conversations. Full sponsor between a Republican and a progressive. Oh my God, that'd be the dream. A girl can dream. Yep. Yeah. So <laughs> let me let me let me ask you from the point of view of uh, say someone like me or someone who's listening right now. What are some ways that people can get involved with supporting you or supporting this cause or getting involved in the political sphere? Um, like, how, how do people do that? Okay. Number one, call your two senators. I don't care what party they're with, what party you're with, call them. They were voted into office to represent you and tell them to end animal agriculture subsidies. One specific subsidy you can call on them to end is the dairy margin coverage program. I just published on YouTube today an overview of that program and it explains what's wrong with it. What's your YouTube channel? It's Laura Montagna Reese. Simple. How do you spell Montagna? M O N T O N Y E. Got it. And um, second, call your your rep in the house and say the same thing. Um, and then call on them not only to end animal agriculture subsidies, but support programs that transition farmers from animal agriculture to plant-based agriculture and or any low carbon business that they can thrive with on their, their land. So basically my do what I'm doing, but get on the horn and do it yourself. Do this at your state level too. call your reps at your state level. There's an awful lot of agriculture policy being made at the state level. And then go talk to your local city or county level reps and talk to them about what matters. And and you can go look at my video on methane and kind of get educated about methane and what a 
calamitous problem it is. Um, it's really, it's incredible to me that it's not talked about more. Those are the first things. Second, to support my campaign, you can go to lobbyistsforgood.org. That's with a four, not an F-O-R. And it's slash animal dash eggs dash subsidies. And we have funded over a month of lobbying. If we can raise another 5,000, we get two months of lobbying. So I would really love that because I'll be working with the lobbyist for about a month. And then after I leave, they'll be doing all the follow-up meetings. And we don't really have the funding for that yet. So if we can raise another 5K, we get that. And they will be up to speed on all the lobbying points. So who's the lobbyist? So we're picking between two right now. And this is a testament to how powerful the animal ag industry is in Washington. Billy has approached, I don't know, maybe a dozen lobbyists and they were interested, but they had to decline because they didn't want to offend one of their clients. Even if they personally didn't represent the client, maybe they worked in a lobbying firm where a client was wow. like or Tyson or one of the big ag guys and they just didn't even want to touch it. So yeah, it's very sensitive. They are, they really are. It's just really, really kind of sickening, you know, that, you know, just like these uh, farmers that uh, were transforming, you know, Ryuji was there with me and, you know, during the time we were interviewing them for this podcast or uh, bits and pieces of, you know, just some footage that we're collecting for a future documentary, you know, they hesitate um, regularly around what they're saying. And they're not even employed by them anymore. Yeah. There's this this built-in fear, huh, Ryuji? Didn't you notice it? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I mean, they, they even said so. They talked about it themselves. They were like, uh, you know, because at first it was interesting. I had the impression that they didn't want to say things because since they used to be employed by them, they could get into trouble. But in, in fact, they just said that actually anyone who um, who basically says something or does something that would create economic damage towards them, um, then they could take action against us. And it could be anyone. Um, but it, it was really striking to me how, you know, like you said, they really felt that and especially the first times when we went there not initially like you know they kind of like told us a lot more like I think the second third time that we were there but uh, I remember in in particular the first time that really struck me because I never really thought about that before Um, and it really got me thinking about how much power these industries have for sure. Did it sound like they were under the thumb of just extremely powerful resourceful exactly yeah just oppressed and Uh, yeah, we, we want to team up with farmers. We, they are, and doesn't it, doesn't it just offend you how the, the f- small family farmer, the picture of them will be used by these huge corporations yeah, exactly. as if that's who they rep. That's not who they represent. That's who they exploit. Exactly. No, it's yeah. all exploitation. It's exploitation. It's, it's big, you know, big money politics. It's big, you know, it's, it's old cowboy boot wearing, hat wearing, you know, politics. You know, I'm reading right now, I'm reading a book by Ben Sass. He's the senator out of Nebraska, Republican. And um, 
you'd asked about media and he, he talks a lot about the media and it just strikes me that so many of us are really on the same page, but we are being pulled apart by just the, the insanity on the media and it's being the puppet strings are coming from just big money. And yeah. it's, um, I only say that because you had asked about that before and it was like, Oh my God, that's a whole waxy yarn. <laughs> oh, it is because I believe that the media is, uh, I mean, that there's really not two sides. There's a, uh, there's, you know, one big, you know, money God up here, just acting like it's all a big stage over here. And the yeah. Republicans and all these are just like, you know, they're all acting like they're against each other, but really it's, doesn't matter who you vote for in this system we've got, I think. Well, it does matter who you vote for, but yeah, it's, it's pretty mayhem. Oh, you, the, system, the system is so corrupt that I don't think it really does matter anymore. It's so corrupt. I mean, one of the things I, I almost want to go there and, and lobby for campaign finance reform, um, making laws that say corporations aren't people. Uh, the constitution doesn't apply to corporations. It only applies to people um, right. getting money out of politics to the degree we can, and then putting up some firewalls between our institutions and big money interests. Like I want our institutions doing truth seeking, like what the Canadian food board did with the new food guidelines. Mm-hmm. I learned about, they, they put up a firewall where it was illegal for corporations to talk to any of the scientists coming up with the food guidelines. They could talk to their supervisors, but they weren't allowed to talk to the scientists. And look what they came up with. Science-based recommendations. It's possible, but you need your institutions set up to do truth-seeking and to be firewalled off by money interests. It's not to say that the free market's bad. The free market's great, but letting... People and corporations with enormous amounts of money influence yeah. what people understand to be true. Yeah, it's crazy. No. Anyway, that's not what I'm going there for. I'm going there for animal agriculture, but it all follows from that, right? Right. Right. Another question that I wanted to ask you, um, you know, for anyone who might be listening too, is when you threw out uh, the, this all this information that you were talking about. How do you recommend people go about doing their research? Because like you said, you said that, you know, you have, you heard vegans throw out numbers here and there. And I hear this all the time too. And I'm like, I see so many things every single day that talk about the same things with different numbers. And so one thing that I want to encourage people to do better is, is to do their research more thoroughly. So how would you recommend people go about doing research so that they get accurate information instead of information that just, you know, anything that just comes by? My primary guiding principle is seeking my own understanding of what's the phenomenon that I'm studying. So um, obviously you go to sources you trust, like NASA. They haven't changed the climate change website too much from before the current administration took over. So I still trust that NOAA, um, the FAO livestock's long shadow. I mean, I understand that they were influenced by um, corporate interests to some degree, 
but it's the best science that we have going at the time at, right now. So I try to go to the source of the information and I try to pick, pick uh, sources that are reliable. And then I triangulate. I go, okay, well, what's another reliable source saying? And is it different? And what explains that difference? But ultimately, my guiding principle is to seek my own understanding of what's going on. <clears throat> and once I feel like I've answered it, then, um, then I just keep going from there. But it takes time. It takes a lot yeah, of time. Yeah, of course. Yeah, no, of course. Yeah, it makes sense. And uh, another thing I want to ask you is what were your sources for uh, the numbers that you give us on the dairy industry? Which numbers did I give you on the dairy industry? Uh, you told us about how you were talking about the subsidies and you were talking about how much um, dairy does not see shelves or, or is getting stocked in like some freezer somewhere. Oh, okay. So um, like, for example, on the subsidy itself, the latest subsidy last year, it paid out $254 million directly to dairy farmers. Wow. And the MPP dairy program. And that's just straight up off the USDA site. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, for the $1.4 billion in cheese, that was from a Vox article. And the source I thought was USDA, but honestly, it's been a while since I looked at it. But I remember when I read the article, I immediately went, okay, what's the source? And I verified yeah. that that was okay. Got it. So I'm like 90% sure that was USDA, but not a hundred percent. Um, yeah, I mean, I just, I try to. USDA is full of information. I mean, one of the things that's beautiful is this MPP program they have. They base subsidies based off of your previous year or your, your past year's annual production, the, the million or tens of thousands of pounds of milk you've produced. And they figure out your subsidies when margins get thin based on what your production's been. So they have this enormous database. And that would be critical for doing say a transition program where you pay them a stipend for diversifying into say wind farming or into uh, growing mushrooms or growing oats you you say okay well you made 20 million pounds of milk last year we're going to give you x number of dollars per million pounds of milk per month for the next five years for your transition so you can scale it based on their size it's just so full, chock full of data. I can't even, it's, it's really impressive. Like that, that organization, um, the ERS group with the data, they, man, it's a lot of data. And I think it's pretty reliable because money's involved. <laughs> so with the USDA, all these things uh, you're talking about with the USDA, I mean, could you, in effect, if I was to ask you what kind of USDA uh, programs, money or whatnot might be available to XYZ Farmer, could you like help with that as part of uh, being on our RAP coalition? Could you like help with any uh, of those grants? I could try. I mean, I've been reading the farm bill, like the conservation program. There's, there's the CSP and the CRP. Those are definitely two that you could sign up for. And then, um, yeah, I'd love to help to the degree I can. What? There's the CRP, which is, I think, the Conservation Reserve Program, where you rewild. A portion of your land. What's that? A portion of the land, you rewild it, the CRP. And yeah, the and you get paid and per acre per month. What is it? You get paid per acre per month for just letting it go. 
Yeah, so that's CRP. And then CSP is what? CSP is where you, in, you adopt um, environmentally friendly farming practices and work with a USDA rep, and then they check that you've, you've implemented them, and then you get some sort of a tax break or you get some sort of a subsidy for that. But it's actually on a working farm. You know what I just realized, Laura, because you joined our coalition, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. I just realized you are the perfect person to help these farmers uh, when we're interviewing them on our, uh, in our assessment to see if they would maybe qualify for some programs. I mean, with your research uh, ability. And try. I'm hardly an expert on these programs. I have a... You're more of an expert than me. Right. <laughs> sure. And if you got to get somebody to help pro bono, at least it would be somebody that loves, you know, what we're doing. And, you know, I would love to help in any way I can. For the farmer and wants to see animal agriculture subsidies go away. I mean, I can't think of a better person. Can you, Ryuji? <laughs> no. I'm, I, I always mute myself. That's why it takes me like a while to like answer. I'm like, but yeah, no, I, I think that would be such a great idea. I know it would be. I mean, you would just be the perfect person, I think, to, you know, and it would help you learn, you know, you would learn a lot. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's nothing like having an actual project or a problem to solve to focus your mind on, on finding an answer. But wouldn't it help you, like, with all of your lobbying efforts? I mean, everything that you're doing and wanting to um, interject into Congress, I mean, the more you can know about how to help the farmer, I think it just can't help but Oh, yeah. Oh, I'd love to. Yeah. I'd love to. Great. I love this <laughs> takeaway from today. <laughs> oh, Ryuji, you had asked about what people can do. There was one more thing, which is join the, G the Vegan Justice League. Yes. Vegan Justice League. That's a very long-term thing. We need to organize. We need to bring a force to Washington so that when somebody is going to lobby Congress and they're trying to recruit a lobbyist and they're going against vegans, that lobbyist says, mm, sorry, can't take you on because I've got these vegans I'm representing and dude, they are fierce. You do not want to cross them. That's where we need to get. So we need people organizing into the Vegan Justice League. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, we talked to Connie Spence. It was like the second or third episode of the podcast. I think the third episode of the podcast yeah. we talked to her uh, about that. So if you're listening right now and you want to hear more about that, check that episode out. It's called, um, what is it called? It's called More Vegans Equals More Animals Dying. Question right, mark, yeah, more vegans equals animals. more animals um, dying. Yeah. Yeah, one thing, one thing that she said um, that piggybacks on your points that really struck me is how as vegans, we are such a larger group and we are probably a more loyal group than our opposition. They're, they're more of us, you know, they're, they're like a handful of people who are, you know, like in the opposing lobby. And then if we all organized and we all centralized our money, there would be so many more of us. Um, and that really, that really struck me. And, uh, you know, she was talking also about how in the past other movements have centralized their money before they went out and did all the other things that social justice movements do. And for our movement, we're kind of doing the opposite. Um, but yeah, so that, thank you for that. Yeah. There's another group that's doing that. Uh, Ryuji, we met them uh, in Sedona, some, somewhere mm -hmm. nations rising or. Is that the Canadian group? Nation rising. I think is Canadian. I think it is that one. Yeah. The nation's yeah. rising. I think they're the ones that's also doing something along 
that route? They're organizing. I mean, there's power in numbers and this is the fight of our lives. This isn't like throw $5 a month at somebody on Patreon. We need to pick up every tool in front of us and we need to change the world. It, it's, it's that bad. It's that, it is that bad. We have to. That's the reason we're changing. We're, we're in this, you know, turn ranches around and farmers, you know, it's time to rescue ranches. I mean, if we don't stop the flow of animals into the cell barn, we will never stop this. And so because people, you know, will save an animal here and there, and that's nice and good. But until you stop that actual flow of farmers taking their animals to sell barns or sending their chickens to processing, I mean, a perfect example is this chicken farmer we just, you know, we're working with. I mean, 1,000 chickens every 52 days. So let's see that podcast. What was it? How to Save 200,000 Chickens. What was it? Uh, 700,000. Huh? The one with Rodney? How to the say... One with Rodney and Jennifer? What's that? The one with Rodney and Jennifer? Yeah, what was it called? Yeah, how to save 700,000 chickens a year. Yes, how to save 700,000 chickens a year. I mean, wrap your mind around that. One farmer, one chicken farmer that has four sheds. They were remarkable. I listened to that podcast, and they the speed at which they switched from this carnist mindset to a vegan mindset and that transition, how they described it was very compelling. And the fact that they had so much on the line. I tell you what, they had much on the line. They, they are the epitome of, uh, of faith, of courage, the Barretts are by far some of the salt of the earth people. They are, they are poised to lead in our movement. We just got to keep supporting them and other farmers like them because yep. they are so poised to be a voice for farmers. And I'm poised to learn from them and use your experience with them as a template for stamping that model out across the nation so we can turn this thing around. Exactly. That's what we have to do. That's yep. what we're all about, you know? Yeah. It's so cool. Crazy cool. I'm so happy I came to know you guys. <laughs> hey, I'm happy too. I am too. And for anyone listening to everything that we talked about um, that Laura might have linked to or said things about, we're going to link all that in the show notes. So you can go check that out, whether it be her YouTube channel um, or if you, if you have like a couple key articles that you want to send people or, or whatever it is. Um, If there's anything else that, you know, you want people to like come out of this with, um, we'll link them, but I'll definitely go through the whole episode and see everything that you talked about and kind of like uh, link things there. So if you want to check any of that out in the show notes uh, on iTunes, I don't think you can click on the links in Spotify, but on iTunes it's definitely there. So yeah. Yeah. And if anybody wants to go check out lobbyists for good and start their own campaign, I encourage you to kind of look at what campaigns are on there. It's not just animal agriculture. There's one for ending money in politics, like we, we kind of talked about briefly. There are, there are others, you know, some I resonate with more than others, but um, it's an interesting platform, and I don't know. Check it out. Billy's awesome to work with, too. Cool. Yeah, I liked him. He was very sweet. Very uh, laid-back guy. Yeah, but knowledgeable, and um, I think he's, he's strategic, so I like that. That's very good. Yeah. 
Why, who are we, Ryuji? We are the two. The two who? The two rowdy. Rowdiest vegans. Two, two, two rowdy 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 vegans. Two, two rowdy vegans. One plus one equals two rowdy vegans.